I don't know how you preach after that. Uh, it is an honor to be here. And, uh, Pastor Bubba called me on Monday and told me what was going on. And I just counted such a high privilege to be able to, to stand even be behind this pulpit that has been so richly, the word has been delivered from. And so I, I count this a high privilege. And Pastor Bubba has been a dad to me. And Miss Tracy has been a mom to me. And uh, Lindsay and I are where we are today because of them. And so I definitely give honor to where honor is due. I stand on this platform because of many people, not because of my greatness. But I stand here because of many people who have sowed into me. And uh, it's an honor to be here. And I, I do feel like I have a word today. So if you have your Bibles, if you open up to Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to get after it because I, I tend to have an ability to preach long. So... So Pastor Bubba is going to make sure that doesn't happen, and uh, I'm going to make sure that I get to the point, and uh, I have a couple pages of notes, but uh, I, I have something more importantly I think I want to share, uh, maybe off some of these notes that I was praying this morning. So uh, I want to do this this morning. If you will, open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and for those who didn't uh, get a chance to maybe bring your Bible this morning, we definitely encourage you to bring it, but we do offer an electronic Bible on the screen. And so I want to do this in honor of the Word. They used to do this back in uh, the different centuries. They, they would stand in honor of the Word. So can we stand today? We're going to stretch those legs a little bit. We're going to stand today. We're going to read four passages. That's it. Don't worry. I'm not reading a chapter to you. Um, we're going to read four passages together. And uh, I know you got your Bibles there with you, but uh, I want us to read what's on the screen together. It's in Matthew chapter 9. And, and you can just hold your, your Bible there. But if you'll read with me up on the screen, that would be even better, so that way we can sound all as one. So let's read this together. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Read along with me. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were and like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I believe these four verses are going to radically change our church. And... I, I just want to encourage you, if you will preach back to me, I'll preach faster, I promise. So I believe these four verses are going to radically change our church. Amen? You believe that with me? Let's pray. Father, we love your word. We thank you that you are alive and you are well. And we thank you, God, that you come to give us life and life more abundantly. We pray right now through Matthew chapter 9, you would open up in your word what you want to say to this church and to these people. It is not by chance that there is not one person here that you have not divinely orchestrated for them to be here at this moment because of this word that you want to say to them. I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that I would only say the words that you want me to say. And more importantly, I pray that we would be people that don't just hear your word, but we would do your word through Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this sunny day. And thank you for crawfish boiling outside. And everybody said, let's go. Everybody sit down. Let's get to work. You know, it's a, it is a, a great week coming up for many of us because, I don't know about y'all, summer is almost here, which means school is almost out. 
Come on. Mamas, are you excited about school being out? Maybe some of you mamas are like, no, I ain't excited at all. This is a nightmare. But for our home, we are excited because we have a, a school routine. It'll start back again tomorrow, which we will wake up between 6.15 and 6.30 in the morning. My alarm will go off. This is, this is my routine, okay? Alarm will go off, and I will hit snooze. And then my alarm will go off again, and I'll hit snooze again. And then at 6.40... I'll go, oh my God, and then I'll get up out of the bed, and then this is usually what happens. I'm going to walk you through our routine. This is my routine. Whenever I have carpool duty, I wake up, I go to the air conditioner, I put it on so that way it creates noise in the house, and then I I sneak into my seven-year-old and my four-year-old's room so that way I do not wake up the four-year-old because when he wakes up at 4.30, come about 10.30, he is, whoo, for my wife. And so I try to sneak in there. And when I open the door, usually that doesn't work. Um, usually my son can hear he, he's up. And so when he's up means he rides with us. And so we go through our routine. We get him dressed. We go, we, we eat breakfast. And then I whisk Josiah into the bathroom. Josiah, go put on, that's our seven-year-old. Go put on your uniform. Okay, I'll be there in a minute. We finish. I get the other one. I get him dressed. I walk into the bathroom, and he's not dressed. This is every week. It should never surprise me. Every day, he's not dressed. He's like got one pant leg on. He's like picking his nose, looking at his hair. And so then I'm usually frustrated by then. I know when my wife's doing it because she's yelling. So she's like, yeah. Well, y'all knew that last week when y'all saw the video. Okay. Uh, I'm joking. And so we're hurrying them up through and then we hurry up jump in the car we whisk our way to the McCann home and then Olivia and, just, uh, and Luke jump in the car and we take off to Crowley and I come home that's usually my morning routine whenever I'm doing car duty and that is a routine all of us have routines I have a routine when I usually get to work Mondays are a certain day Tuesdays are a certain day usually I have a routine I'm a guy who likes routine I like things to be exactly the way that they are I like it how it works that way. When I get home from dinner, maybe you have a dinner routine. I don't know how many have a, ni- how many have a nightly routine. You kind of come home, husband comes home, you eat dinner. Usually for us, it includes dinner, a little bit of wrestling, because I have three boys. We wrestle, we play a little bit, then it's bath time. Daddy duty does bath time, mama does kitchen, I do bath, I bathe boys, and then we do the bedtime. It's all a routine. And then how many of you have little toddlers, little kids, and you can't wait till bedtime? Bedtime's like an oasis for you. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, you are pushing for bedtime. Like, can we do 6.30 today? Can we? I don't know. I'm tired. Y'all tired? We're faking tired to get the kids to bed. Because y'all know that's mommy-daddy time. That's, that's the only downtime we have usually during the day. So we're hurry up trying to get them to bed. All those are good. Routines are all good. And I think we all have routines. And routines can be a very, very good thing. When school starts back up during, after the summer, you'll get back into routine of things. Usually summer's a little bit more laid back and all that. But routine is good. But here's the problem. Routine can also be bad as well. Because many times we can also get into the routine of church. And it can be good, and it can also be bad. You can come, you show up, you get here, you get your coffee, you come get in the seat. Pastor Zach and the band strike it up. You sing three or four songs. Pastor Bubba gets up, delivers a strong word. We give a little bit in the offering. Maybe serve a couple hours a month in the kids. We, do, we have a routine, and then we walk out, and we go live our lives like we normally do. And the problem is, is that a lot of times when you're in the middle of a routine, you miss a lot of things because you're in your routine. Any of y'all ever recognize this? 
You miss moments of things that are happening all around you because you're in the middle of your routine. And sometimes that can be a really bad thing. Even our devotions to the Lord can just be routine. We break open our Bible, we read a couple verses, we jot a couple things down, we pray, and it's just routine. And sometimes that's a really, really bad thing. And so today I want to kind of shake up a little bit of the routine and I want us to look at here because we've been going at this for 12 years. Our Savior's Church Jennings Campus has been here for 12 years. And if we're not careful, we're going to get stuck in a routine and not even realize that it's actually a bad thing if we're not careful. And so today I want to kind of break that routine. I want us to show us a little bit of why we do what we do. So I want us to go back to Matthew chapter 9, and I want you to look at verse 36 real quick. And I want us to, we're going to just extrapolate a couple things out of here today as we read this verse. Matthew chapter 9 verse 36 says this, but when he saw the multitudes, when he saw the multitudes, Now, when I read this verse, it it, kind of strikes me a little odd because Jesus was a guy, if you read all throughout the Gospels, was constantly with people, right? I mean, he's constantly with people. I mean, he's trying to go on vacation and people are always following him. He's trying to get away and people are always with him. He's always with people. And in this verse, it says, but when he saw the multitudes, the multitudes have always been there. They've always been there. But somehow and for some reason in this verse... Matthew decides to pen these words that he saw the multitudes, meaning that he saw them in a different way than he had even seen them before. And if you're like me, many times you can look at a people and you can be all around people but not see people. How many of you do a weekly Walmart run? Who's in here? Who's weekly? Mamas, any here? Piggly Wiggly. I just love saying that word. Piggly Wiggly. Superfoods. Okay. Okay. All of us in here usually go through a routine of going to the grocery store, going to get gas, going to do all these things. And many times, if you've ever gone to Walmart, you have gotten behind, if you're like my wife, because every time my wife comes home, I know what kind of teller she had by the, the facial expressions when she walks into my house. It was like, when she walks in, I'm like, it was not her again, was it? And she was like, yes, it was. Which means... That it was the teller who was extremely slow or extremely mean or extremely... Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all have ever met any of those type of tellers? Been to a bank or been to anywhere and you have those types of people? And because we're in the routine of things and hurrying up and getting our groceries and going through the line and wanting to pay and check, we miss the fact that there's someone that is sitting behind a cash register that might be going through a really, really rough time. And because we're so consumed with hurrying up and getting home because we got frozen goods, we miss this opportunity that God has set up right in front of us. And so for a lot of us, we can be around people, we can be surrounded around people, but we don't see people. And Jesus right here, he sees people. I'm going to just tell you this right now. In, In church, you can come, and for many of you, you sit in the same seat every week. It's your routine. That's your seat. It's not, doesn't have your name on it, but if somebody dare sat in your seat, you would let them know that that's your seat. You know, everybody that's laughing because they know somebody in the back of their head who's that seat. And here's the deal. In that routine, you don't realize that there could be people sitting around you that are also having a crazy week as well. And so I want us to see here because he, he describes this and I want you to see what he says. He says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were what? They were, say that word with me, weary, weary, underline that, they were weary and what? 
There's two words he uses, weary and scattered. Underline those two words. They were weary and scattered. Let me, let me share a little bit of what those means. If you have your notes with you, I think these are in your notes as well. It says this. Weary speaks of exhaustion and oppression. Scattered is no direction. You see, here's the deal. Many times we think people are just downright mean. But can I tell you something? They're not downright mean. The actual root of why they are acting the way they are is because they're weary and scattered. They are oppressed and exhausted and tired and there's things going on at home and there's things going on with the husband or there's things going on with the wife or there's things going on with the kids and they feel exhausted. There's things that are happening at their job and they're just weary. And so as Christians, we should be different when we walk into Walmart. We should look for those things. And notice that people are not being mean because that's who they are. They're being mean because there's something deep down inside that is really going on. And their behavior is a byproduct of where their heart is and what's happening. And so I want you to see this. It says that they were weary and they were tired. That they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. I want you for just a quick minute to consider your life before Jesus. Would these words describe you? Weary, scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. I'm going to tell you, if I'm weary, scattered, I'd probably use the middle finger a lot more myself. Can I get a witness? Some of y'all using it already. So, But if we're weary and scattered, we, we should not be surprised by how people react. How else do you expect people to respond when they don't know Jesus? That's how they cope. That's how they deal with their sin. And I want to tell us this because this verse says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them. And I'll be honest with you, a a gospel church is a compassionate church. It's not a critical church, it's a compassionate church. We are a church filled with great compassion. And why? Because God has been so compassionate to us. That even in my own sin, that he was so loving and so pursuing, that he was compassionate towards me. Have we yet to forget where we were once ourselves? And as a church, we quickly forget that, that that was once us. We view a us versus them type of thing, and that's not us versus them. That's who we were without Christ. This is where we are because of Christ, but that's where we were without Christ. And this verse tells us that he had great compassion on them. I want you to write this down. I don't think this is in your notes, but when I was praying yesterday, I I really felt like God was telling me this. It it says, I put this, when we see as Jesus sees, we will move as Jesus moved. When we see as Jesus sees, we will move as Jesus moved. Some of you in here go, man, I don't have compassion. And I'm going to just tell you right now, my prayer for this message is not to reap a bunch of condemnation on you, make you feel guilty for not being compassionate, and tomorrow you're going to go and just love on a couple people. Because here's the deal, that'll last about three days. And that does nobody good for you to do that. I want you today to experience the grace of God that has been extended to you. And out of an overflow of what you've experienced from God, that compassion would flow out of you because God's been so compassionate to you. 
Lately, we've been going to Jennings Elementary. As many of you know, we've been talking about it. We've been at Jennings High School and all those things. And the past couple of years, God has always, every time I pass that school, I've just prayed for that school. And over this, these past years, Pastor Janetta was with us when we went in the first year of going and doing the teacher remodel. And this past week, when we did teacher's appreciation, we had the opportunity to go in and serve at all the lunch duties from Monday through Friday. And many of you in here were a part of that with us. And if there was anything when you walked away from that experience with 614 kids in a room, you experienced either two feelings, frustration or compassion. And if you were really fleshly, it was very much frustration because there was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of cafeteria workers not operating in the compassion area. (laughs) Y'all know what I mean. They were operating in frustration area. And as a church, we went in, and as you sit down and as you talk to these kids, your heart breaks. Because you see some of these kids who are coming from environments where their parents could care less about them. Kid came in wrapped with bandages. Miss Tracy was telling me about this. Kid came in with wrapped bandages around him. She asked him, hey, why do you have wrapped bandages around him? He said, because my mom took me from school this morning and beat me. And then sent me back to school. If that doesn't break your heart, I don't know what does. Kid came in limping. Go, hey, what happened to you? We got in a wreck yesterday. But did your mom know about it? No, I was with my cousin. Your mom doesn't know about it. No. And that's widespread. That's all over. The reason we are there at JES and JHS is because there is a harvest field of people who are weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And we walk in and we come with great compassion for these kids, for these parents. To say that you know the gospel, but you don't have compassion, I got to take in question if you really understand the gospel. Because the greatest understanding of gospel is that Christ was compassionate. Now, I want you to look at verse 35 and let's back up a little bit because verse 35 actually is going to help set up verse 36 because verse 35 starts off with this. Look at verse 35. And it's a bit puzzling to me, but I want to show you why. Verse 35 says this, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So verse 35 is the culmination of Jesus doing a bunch of different things. He's healing people. Go back to it. He's healing people. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's sharing the gospel. He's healing diseases. Okay, he's doing all this stuff. Jesus solo is doing all of these great things. Then we go into verse 36, and we see that now he sees a multitude of people, and he realizes this one thought. I can't do all of this. The need is way too great. I can't do it all. I can't do it all. Verse 36 lets us know that he sees a multitude of people who still need a great work. He can't be the one person that does all the work. And this is my challenge to us as a church because I think this really tells us something about the church. And I want you to write this down because this is in your notes. It says this, the church was never instituted by God for people to come on a weekend and watch the pastors do all the work. Can I get an amen? 
They were never designed for you to come and sit and watch us do all of the work. We're not going to change any city or any neighborhood if it's all on our shoulders. We can only reach so many people. We can only touch so many people. And the, the, the common misconception about church is that we come to church and we sing our songs and we throw a little money in the offering and then we come and serve for a couple hours during the month and then we cheer on Pastor Baba to go change the world. You can do it. Keep going. Fight. Go, Pastor Josh. Get them at the school. Go, Pastor Zach. Get those students. Come on. Let's go. But when I read Scripture... I see it very differently. I see it very differently. I see that when people are radically transformed by the gospel, they get into church and then they have pastors and people that equip them and challenge them and give them courage and hope and they send them out. Because I want to tell you this, this church right here, this service right here is a means to the mission. It's not the mission. Do you understand me? This is a means to the mission, not the mission itself. When you step out these doors in the next hour and you go home, that's your mission. When you go to work in the morning, that's your mission. When you go to school tomorrow, that's your mission. This is a means to the mission, but not the mission. And we are so confused because we think that this is the mission. Hey, you need to just come to our Savior's church and we want you to bring people. We want you to bring in the harvest and bring them here. But we want you to be the missionaries and not just to be on us. If we're going to change this city, if we're going to change this culture, if we're going to change this region, we need all of us to step on board and say, you know what, this is my city. This is my school. This is my job. This is mine. Are y'all with me here? Come on, don't be silent on me. We ain't... So this is a means to the mission. It's not the mission. The mission is for you to go. To go. Look at verse 36 again. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Let's talk about this for a minute because I I, I think this is crucial. Let's talk about how God designed us because God designed us to be led. Do you know that? God wired you to have a God. He did. It's in every single one of us. We are uniquely designed to be, to give our lives to something and to be led by something, to worship something. Every single person in us. We are all designed this. And this verse says that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And the problem is, is that too many people are putting their trust and their hope And something that was never designed to lead them or shepherd them. And they continually come up short and need more of it to compensate for the lack of what it's not doing in their heart. And this verse says that Peter is very specific. I mean, uh, sorry, Matthew is very specific about saying that Jesus looks at them and says they are sheep without a shepherd. Now, here's the deal. Jesus is comparing these people and comparing you and I to sheep. Now, y'all know something about sheep, right? When you think of the smartest animals, do you think of sheep? When you think of like ferocious animals, do you think of sheep? When you think of like just, man, if, I don't 
I don't ever in, in OSC Kids look at kids and go, man, if you could be an animal, what would you want to be? Sheep. Sheep all the way. Let me be a you. Nobody wants to be that. And, and, and God didn't do this on accident when he called us sheep because there's something about sheep that is natural. Sheep are just, when they're left to themselves, they die. Do y'all know the story of the 99 sheep and the one that got lost? And what does the shepherd go do? He goes and looks for it because he knows with that one that goes solo, it's gone. It's gone. Natural instincts for a sheep are not much. They need to be led. They need to be fed. They need to be cared for. They need to be nourished. And Jesus specifically says, you are a sheep, which means you need to be led. I want you to hold your finger right here at Psalms 23, and I want you to go to, uh, I mean, uh, go to Psalms 23. Hold your finger right here on Matthew chapter 9, and I want you to see this real quick. This is a, a very, very common verse. Everybody, you probably got it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt. You got it somewhere. Even if you've never been in church, you probably know exactly what this verse is. But I want us to, to take this verse and and look at it with a new pair of eyes. Psalms 23 verse one. And it says this, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my what? Come on. Y'all preach with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me. I want y'all to see what he does as a shepherd. Look what he says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So God shepherding you is not even for you. It's for him. He leads you for him. He saves you for him. He forgives you for him. He feeds you for him. Everything is for him. But here's the problem is that we are people who like to put other things as God. We like to be led by other things. We like to put our hope in other things. And I'm going to just tell you right now, and I know we have an upcoming election with all this going on, but I don't care if we get the most godliest president in the White House, he will still not lead you like the great shepherd will. He won't. So don't put your hope in that. Do we pray for it? Yes. Do we want it? Yes. But do we put our hope in it? No. Single ladies in the house. You want a solid, great, godly man. But don't you dare make him God in your life because he will fail you. He will fail you. And if you make him God, you have set him up for something that God never designed for him to be. No person is ever going to be able to lead us the way that God is designed to lead us. He is our shepherd. Everybody say that. He is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. So when we are as sheep, I wrote this down and I think this is in your notes. Because as sheep, we have this proclivity to wander and to to go and do our own thing. And this is in your notes. You are a sheep. Every sheep needs a flock. And every flock needs a shepherd. You are a sheep. Every sheep needs a flock. And every flock needs a shepherd. Can I be honest with you? We only have one strength here in this church. One strength. This is it. This is all we got. His name's Jesus. That's all we got. Lights are great. Screens are cool. Buildings are awesome. But we only got one strength in this church. 
Jesus. He's the only one that can change anything. He's the only one worth giving our life to. He's the only reason that I get up in the morning and do what I do. He's the only reason is Jesus. Jesus is everything. Jesus is essential. He is the reason that, I mean, think about this. He's the whole reason we're connected. He's the whole reason we have a family. He's the whole reason that we congregate. He's the whole reason that we have life. That in him is everything that we need is Jesus. We, we, my wife and I lead a, a life group in Lake Arthur. We're all my life group in Lake Arthur peoples. Come on. And so it's been it's so exciting to see over the past two years what God has done. Because this is so weird. Because I'm 30. My wife is 30. And we lead a life group with people who could be our parents. <laughs> Does anybody else not find that a bit odd? <laughs> that... that there's so much diversity. There's people there that are single. There's people there that are married. There's people there that are older. There's people there that are younger. And so outside of this group, we would have nothing in common. But the one thing that we do is Jesus. Come on, church. That's the one thing that we have that's going for us. That's the one thing that's going to bring reconciliation in this city is Jesus. That's the one thing that's going to bring us together as a family is that we are grounded and centered on Jesus. So I wrote a couple of things down for us because I think Jesus is so huge and so important because we're going to emphasize what the Bible emphasizes and the Bible emphasizes Jesus. You know that Jesus is the hero of this book. Y'all understand that, right? So if you need a healing, you need? Jesus. Okay. If you need some comfort, you need? Jesus. If you need a financial breakthrough, you need? Come on, if you need some sanity and peace in your mind, you need? That's right. But why is it so often that we feel like we need other things beyond Jesus? Like that Jesus isn't enough. He's more than enough. He's more than enough. We need Jesus. You having relational issues? You need Jesus. Your marriage is falling apart? You need Jesus. Your kids are wayward? They need, they need Jesus, and you need Jesus. There's a lot of Jesus that needs to be needed. But Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the answer, and Jesus is what we're going to preach. Because I can just be honest with you, I got the greatest gig in town because I don't have to come up with any new material when we come up and preach. Pastor Bill and I have the greatest gig in town when we come up and preach because you know what? We just keep preaching Jesus. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is alive. He bled and he died for you. He rose again to give you life, to give you... I I say the same thing every week. And everybody's like, man, that's so good. It's the same thing as Jesus. I don't know. I I didn't change it up. I mean, we didn't like... I didn't throw something else in there. And we say this all the time. Listen, if you leave this place and you are more enamored with me and not with Jesus, then I didn't preach the gospel to you. You need to leave this place more passionate for Jesus, more on fire for Jesus, more in love with Jesus, more wanting to do what Jesus called you to do. Can I get an amen? Amen. Come on, that's why we're here today. So we're here for Jesus. Let's look at verse 37 because this is another piece to the puzzle. Verse 37 says this, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is what? It's plentiful. But we got a problem. What's the problem? Laborers are few. Now, I want you to see, because Jesus now, he kind of changes metaphors here. At first, he decides that we're going to be sheep. And then he changes it up on us. He goes, okay, you're sheep, but now you're also wheat. You like wheat. And look what he says. Harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
the disciples would have known what this all meant because they totally knew about sheep and wheat during that day. That was common, common analogies. And if you know anything about wheat, you're going to know that time is of the essence or the crop's going to get lost. In those days when the harvest was plentiful and the harvest was ready for ripe, the farmer would actually go and just hire as many hands as he possibly could. If you, we can just get your hands in and we can get you busy and you can come and you can work. Come on, because the farmer knew that the time of the essence was critical and that if he didn't get it in time, he would lose it. He would lose it. And he says here that the laborers are few. What I love about this verse is because it says that the harvest is truly plentiful. This is what it tells me. And I, and I think this is the word for the church. Y'all listen here. It says the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What that tells me is that the work is already done in the process of saving people. The harvest is plentiful, which means God's already done all the prep work. I just need people to go out there and get it. Which I don't know about y'all, but as a pastor, you feel a lot of times, and we're constantly having to shut this off of, our, off of our shoulders, that you have to save people. That I need to preach in such a way that you get saved and that God speaks to you. And that's a pressure that God's never asked us to put on ourselves because when I read scripture, the Bible says that God does all the saving. God does all of the work in those ends. And what this verse is telling me is that in your workplace, in your city, in your school, there are already people ready to receive Jesus. They're just waiting on you. That's what this tells me. The harvest is plentiful. He doesn't say the harvest is is somewhat getting there. He says, man, the harvest truly is plentiful. But the laborers, they're few. In your notes, I wrote this. The emphasis on laborers is more on willingness than giftedness. It's more on willingness than giftedness. See, so many people think that only the most gifted people get to be used by God. When you read scripture, that is the exact opposite. Do you all understand that? It is the exact opposite in scripture. The people who were the least likely got used by God. Okay, Jesus goes to the, to the, you know, fishermen. Those are the people who didn't even get into, get into the school. They failed. They flunked rabbi school, okay? And they're fishing. And Jesus is like, I want them. Like, what? Yeah, you're on my team. And they're like, are you serious? What? That's like when you're going to pick teams, you pick all the worst people first. And you're like, yeah, you can have all the good ones. I want these. Because God knew that in the people that he was picking, it wasn't about giftedness. It was more about willingness. And I'm telling you, there is this deception in our church where people think that you got to know a lot of the Bible and you got to know all this great stuff. If you're just willing, God will use you. Amen. That's the only reason I'm here today. I told Pastor Bo, Pastor Bo all the time, man, man of God, are you, you in it? Are you in this? I said, Pastor Bo, you don't have to kick me out with a broomstick. I'm in this thing. Let's do this. I'm here. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Just put me to work. And we got to have as a church just a willingness to go. God, whatever you want to do. I told Dr. Coleman, the, the, the principal at JES, he said, man, why are y'all coming here? I, called, I said, Dr. Coleman, I don't have a kid here. In all realistic, I shouldn't even be here. I have no reason to be here. I have no children here. Our church just has maybe five to six kids that even go to JES. There's no reason really for me 
other than the fact that God has called us to come here. And then when God calls you to go, okay, Josh, go to Lake Arthur. What? Lake Arthur? Like, I don't, I don't know anything about Lake Arthur. I'm not in the Lake Arthur culture. I have no... Th- but when God says to go, he just wants to know if you'll be willing. Amen. Will you just go? I don't care if you understand it. I don't care if you can wrap your mind around it. I don't care if you think you're not educated enough. Will you just go? And he looks at his disciples and says, hey, just come follow me. And they're like, okay, we're in it. I mean, think about the disciples. Teenagers. That's not the people I would have picked. But Jesus did. You go throughout history and you see men who had utter failure and Jesus constantly used them. And so this is an encouragement to you. Don't let us ever hear you say, I don't know enough. I don't know if I can do this. I'm not. You are perfectly qualified right now to lead people to Jesus. You know why? Because you know more about Jesus now than anybody else out there that doesn't. And you're perfectly qualified. And the Bible says that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so God has called us as a church to go out and to reach and to be on mission for him. So it's not about giftedness. It's about willingness. I want to wrap this up because this says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, look what it says. So verse 37, he says, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then I want you to see what he does because verse 35, 36, and 37 really is like a, let's go guys. Rounds up his disciples. I picture this as a coach before a big, huge state national championship game. All right, guys, listen here. We have fought. We have done our best. We have gotten this far. And on that day, today, you are going to step out on that field. And you are going to fight. And you are going to have each other's back. This game is ours. And I can see that the disciples, when they're reading this about when Jesus is saying, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Guys, we can do this. And the guys are going, you. I mean, they're a bunch of teenage guys. I mean, you got to hype them up a little bit. Come on, let's do this. I can see that it's, it's starting to get exciting. Go, fight, win, go, shout it out, fight, win, shout it out, come on, go, fight, win, shout it out, go, fight, win. Okay, so you get excited, you want to go fight somebody, I know, it's starting to happen. But I want you to look what verse 38 says. Therefore, pray. Say what? I can just see the disciples going, how long? Like, can we throw up one of those like meal prayers? Like Jesus bless the food. Let's get after this. And he goes, no. You need to pray. You need to pray. Before you go, you need to pray. You need to pray. And I wrote down these three things on why I feel like he said that. Number one, prayer reminds us that we're not the savior. So before you ever step out and go reach your neighborhood for Jesus, and before you go and reach your workplace for Jesus, you need to pray. You need to pray for those people that you're going to reach because you need to remind yourself constantly, God, you got to do this. It's not about me. You are the Savior. Number two, prayer keeps us from throwing the weight of the world on our shoulders. That it's all on us. 
If we don't do this, we're going to fail. So you feel the weight of that. Prayer constantly throws that back on Christ. Number three, number three, prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. If we're going to make a difference in this city, then we got to have the people on our heart. And in order to get people on your heart, you got to pray for them. Here's the question that I want to ask you. The people who drive you the craziest, the people that God has put at your work that's right by the cubicle next to you or on the oil rig with you, and you're like, God, why in the heck is he here again? Here's the question I want to ask. When's the last time you prayed for him? When's the last time you prayed for him? The people that drive you the craziest, work you the most, God has strategically put them in your life for you and for them to bring him glory to lead them to you or lead you to them somewhere that way. Yeah, is that right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very honest with you. When, when I pray, God softens my heart towards people that I'm very hard-hearted towards. He really does. I hate that neighbor with that rooster that crows at three in the morning. Y'all come to my neighborhood. It is a common. Or that neighbor who lets their dog poo in my yard constantly. I wish my wife was here. <laughs> She'd give an amen on that one. But I'm going to be honest with you. When, when I pray for those people, my heart changes. My heart changes. Here's the big, big finale. Because in this verse, throw up that last verse again. <laughs> I want you to notice that God doesn't ask us to pray for the salvation of our neighbor. Do you notice? Do you notice what he asks us to pray for? Yeah, this is where it gets real uncomfortable, so just get ready. He says, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the fields. Because the verse before it, he said that the harvest is truly what? He said it's truly plentiful. See, here's what I've learned. I live on 214 Seagraves. Over the past couple of years, Lindsay and I have prayed for 214 Seagraves. God, I pray that you would save every person that is on our street. God, I pray that you would move on them. When I read this verse, I realized that our prayer was unbiblical. Because you know what this verse says? Read it again. The prayer needs to be, here's, here's how it works. God, I just pray right now, Lord, that you will just uh, speak to Billy. I pray that you would speak to Susie. I pray that you would speak to Glenn. I pray that, God, that you would be the savior of their home. God, I pray that you would use them. I, God, I pray, Lord, as, as Matthew 9 says, that you would send forth laborers like myself. When you start praying... You, you don't realize, like, Jesus is sneaky. He snuck that up on you. God, I pray that you would send labor. Ah, that means I got to do something. 
snap. See, because here's the thing that I've learned. When you pray prayers like salvation of your neighbors and coworkers, you take no personal responsibility. God, I pray that you would, you would be with my coworker. Lead them to Jesus. And Jesus was like, why don't you shut your mouth and go be Jesus to them? I've already, I've already got them ready. Because this said the, true, the harvest is truly plentiful. They're ready. Will you go? And I love what he says. He says, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out. It's one thing to go, but it's another thing to be sent. And Pastor Bubba, you know, tells us all the time, him and Miss Tracy, this church is here. Y'all know this church is here because Pastor Bubba and Miss Tracy were sent to Jennings. Y'all understand that, right? It wasn't just a call just to come and go. There was a call that came within that. But it was a Pastor Jacob and many pastors meeting together and going, we got to send someone to Jennings. And here we are 12 years later as a church in an almost paid for building with two campuses, with hundreds and hundreds of people that meet together, with many of you that have lives have been changed because someone said, I'll be willing to go. Send me. Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. And this verse says, therefore, pray that the harvest to send out laborers into this church. The success of our church is not in the seating capacity. It is in our sending capacity. It's not in how many people we can pack out into here. It's how many people we can get out to go out there. That is the success of this church. And I'm sorry to tell you, most churches you go to nowadays, they want you to feel comfortable right here. So they won't preach a message like this that gets all up in your grill and tells you you need to go. You need to get on the move. They won't say that. They'll say, just bring all your friends to come. We got a great service. Bring them to come. Bring them to come. We'll do all the work for you. Don't worry about it. We got it. Come on. Bring them on. And we're going, listen, bring them. Bring them. We're going to preach Jesus. But when they get saved in this place, you're going to disciple them. And you're going to lead them. And you're going to go back to your workplace with them. And you're going to go, what was that like? Man, let me tell you what Jesus has done. And you're going to open up scriptures. And you're going to teach them about Jesus. That's what you're going to do. You know what we did this morning and last week, we, we had Lindsay Glasscock and her family come up here and we had that whole sending service. We're going to pray over here. 10% of everything we're going to give is going to go to send her to South Africa. Uh, it's going to be awesome. We had the, the, the video this morning of her going and uh, we love seeing those things. Love sending Alex, love sending people, all those. But I, here's a question that I want to know. Is South Africa more valuable than Jennings? Is South Africa more valuable than Lake Arthur? No. South Africa more valuable than Iota? No. Welsh, Hathaway. So this is what I would like to do. I would love if we could spend, we're not going to, but I would love if we could spend the next hour or two hours and we, send, we get up and we go, Billy and Melissa Knight, come on up here. Hey guys, this is Billy and Melissa Knight. Billy works offshore. Why she's an awesome wife. They got a daughter. Hey, we're going to send him out to the oil field. And he's going to go. And he's going to be Jesus in that oil field. And you're, are you going to pray for him? Yeah, we're going to pray for him. Okay, we're going to pray for him. And he's going to lead. And he's going to be Jesus in his neighborhood on State Street, right? He's going to be Jesus. Come on, I know. I'm tracking you down. He's going to be Jesus on State Street. Come on, everybody stretch your hands towards him. We're going to send him out. Go! 
Come on, let's bring up Wally Walsh. Come on up. Hey, this is Wally. He's single. He's handsome. He's got great teeth. Hands grown back. Loves the Lord. Loves women. Loves Jesus. Works at Steins. He's going to Steins this week. If you need some lumber, hit him up. But he's going to go and he's going to reach people in Steins for Jesus. And he's going to go and he's got a family in Hathaway that he's going to reach for Jesus. Will you stretch your hands towards him as we send him? I would love to do that with every person here. Because that's what we do. This is a means to the mission. We devote our life to the mission. Have we got stuck in such a routine here at church that we forgot the mission? The mission is to make disciples. The mission is to see people come to know Jesus. We give our lives to it. We give our finances to it. Today, multiply. The end of the campaign. 30-something thousand dollars we still need to raise. As a church, we give everything to this. Because it's what's eternal. Jesus has done everything for you. How can we dare turn around and think that when we read scripture, that church is just for us to come once a couple of times a month when we feel like it, give a little sparingly to Jesus, maybe serve once a month in greeters. When you read this verse, is that what you get? That that's what a Christian is? See, when I read this book, I see men who laid down their life after Jesus laid down his, and they themselves were martyred for their faith. I see Paul who says, I want to know him. I see David in the Psalms go, I want to know him. I thirst for him. That's not some little cutesy little thing. I thirst for him. I long for him. I want to know him. That's what I see. That's what I read. And as a church, that's what we want to be. We want to be a church on the move. Amen. Amen. When God's moving, we want to move. We want to do what he is doing. And I don't want us to ever underestimate the significance of your neighborhood, of your workplace, of your school. God has sent you there as a missionary. Just as he is sending Lindsay to South Africa as a missionary, you are a missionary. Tomorrow morning, you are a missionary right everywhere that you go. People are ready right now to serve Jesus. He's already prepared their hearts. Here's the big question. This is it. Will you go? I don't know where else to go with this message other than will you do it? Will you do it? Will you look to your neighbors as a mission field? Will you look to your coworkers as a mission field? Will you give everything, abandon everything for the mission of Christ? Will you do it? Will you do it? Will you get involved at JES and help us mentor kids and families? Will you get involved at JHS? Will you get involved this summer? We got, we're doing outreaches at Paradise Park for kids and families. Will you be a part? Will you help us reach these un, unchurched people? These people who are far from Christ, these people who are weary and scattered. And here's the truth. I've found out that the reason most people aren't on mission for Jesus is because they themselves are weary and scattered like sheep with no shepherd. And so here's my challenge to all of you today. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus.
Jesus will be your hope. Jesus will be your guide. Jesus will be your comforter. Jesus will be your strength. Look to Jesus. Amen. That's problem.